Over the past six weeks, we have been in a series called Jesus is Greater, and we've been walking through the book of Hebrews and looking at all the ways that it talks about here the preacher saying Jesus is greater than the old system that was created. And so I want to talk for just a few minutes this morning about symbols, about systems, about Sabbath, and about saviors. So, symbols. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, if you want to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, or you can follow on your phone, or it's going to be on the screen as well. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship, and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and a table with the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had a golden altar of incense and a golden covered ark of the covenant. A gold covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and some stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, never without blood, which he offered for himself and the sins the people had committed in ignorance." The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle were, was still functioning. So the tabernacle was this place, and tabernacle simply means tent or dwelling place. And the beauty of the tabernacle was it was the place where divinity and humanity intersected. It's where God met with man and made his dwelling among them, and they could be in the presence of God. It was this beautiful gift that God had given them that he was going to be able to dwell with his people and for them to be in their midst. And then within this tabernacle, were all these symbols. Symbols like the altar of incense, the lampstand. The lampstand represented the light of God. The bread of the presence, which represented fellowship with God, communion with Him. The altar of incense, which represented the prayers of the people. The ark of the covenant, which represented God's very presence with the people. The atonement cover or the mercy seat, which was sprinkled with blood once a year by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And then there were the priests who entered the the tabernacle daily to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And then there was the high priest who entered the tabernacle, the the most holy place, once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And then there were the ceremonial washings where the people would cleanse themselves and make themselves right to be in the presence of God. 
And there were all these symbols that were given as a part of the tabernacle, a part of the people's relationship with God. In a way, God saying, here is how you are going to relate with me. Here is how you are going to connect with me. And as you read this, one of the, the, the tendencies I think we have is we read about the tabernacle, and we read about the laws, and we think rules and laws, blah, blah, blah. And it's so easy to look at the regulations that were set up in the temple and begin to think, well, this was the purpose, to be obedient to the law. But the law had a purpose, and it was for the protection of the people. But the protection was not the purpose of the system. It wasn't the purpose that God gave them this. The purpose of the system was the preparation of the people. The the system was given as a gift to prepare the people in making them who God desired them to be. This set-apart people. These people who were different from the rest of the world. And so continuing on, verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. You see, there was this balance with the system between protection and preparation. That within the system, there was protection for the people. This is how you relate to God. This is how you come into the presence of God, and it protects the people. But that was not the purpose of the system. The purpose of the system was to prepare the people. And so there is this tension of protection and preparation that the people struggled with. And I think one of the the reasons that they have this desire to go back to the way things were. And if you haven't been here, the, the preacher is trying to convince the people and, and encourage them. Don't go back to the old law and the old covenant. Because what Jesus has come to do is better than all of the old. And the old wasn't bad. It was just pointing to what was coming and what was new. Don't go back to it. And the tendency, I think, is because they found security in the system. They found safety there. I think they found a clear conscience there. Because if we can go in and offer and do these things that's commanded, then we're right with God and then everything is okay. And what the preacher says is that it's not that this could clear your conscience. This was just making it so that you could be in the presence of God that you could be with Him, that you could relate with Him, that you could dwell in His midst. The problem was not the system. The problem was people's perception of the system. The way they thought the system was supposed to work. What they thought the system was supposed to do. 
And the system was never intended to do what they thought. It, it would be almost like if you walked into a school for the very first time and you took a look around. And you saw all the kids marching up and down the halls and sitting in their classrooms. And you said, well, what, what's the purpose of this place? Well, the purpose of this place, obviously, is to help kids learn obedience. And so they're going to walk in these straight lines. And they're going to sit in their classroom. And if they have a question, they're going to raise their hands. And there's going to be discipline. And, and so obviously the purpose of this place is preparation. But if you know anything about a school, you know that the purpose is not just obedience in that place. The purpose of that place is preparation. It's preparing these kids for something else. It's to, to help them learn. And with the system, there is protection built in. Protecting the kids and protecting the students. But the purpose is to prepare them. The purpose is to get them ready for something bigger for something that is more important. And I think God would look at this system of the tabernacle, the, the system that they've kind of misinterpreted or misunderstood, and say this was not, obedience to the system was never the point of it. The reason you came into this place, the reason you gather, is not obedience. The reason you came to this place, the reason you gathered, the reason you go through these rituals and these offerings is to prepare you for something else. And obedience and protection are built into the system, but they are not the purpose of the system. That's not the reason you gather. That's not the reason you come here. You didn't come to this place for protection. You came to this place for preparation. See, the system was a gift. It was the place that God would dwell with His people. What an incredible gift. But for the people, it became not a gift, but an obligation. And the system that was given to serve them became the system that they served. This tabernacle, this place, this dwelling place where you dwell with God, where humanity and divinity intersect, was a gift to you. And these rituals and these offerings are done so that you can relate to God, so that you can be with Him. This system was given to serve the people. And what happened over time is the people, instead of allowing the system to serve them, they began to serve the system. They began to make the place the purpose. Well, the, here's what we're going to do. We're going to gather and we're going to offer our sacrifices. And we're going to do our ceremonial washings. And we're going to send our priest in. That's the purpose for all of this. That we gather and we go through these. And that we're obedient to what God has told us. That is the purpose. And I think the writer of Hebrews, which we'll get to next week, would say no. That's not 
the purpose. The purpose was to prepare the people to be in the presence of God. And what happens over time when you begin to serve the system that was given to serve you is the system becomes your God rather than what the system was intended to point you to. See, that system of offerings and rituals were to help the people connect with God in this deeply profound way to dwell with Him. And they took the system and they made it the end. They assigned to the system power that it did not have nor could it possess. They made their system the source of their security. They made their system the solution to their problems. They made the system their savior rather than the one the system was pointing them toward. What happens over time is that system became their God. And they worship the system and not the Savior. They made gathering and the rituals and the sacrifices the purpose rather than God Almighty. Because the system was supposed to serve them inside so that they could go outside and serve the world. And what they found themselves doing was moving from the outside, coming inside to serve the system. They transformed the purpose of it. And where it was meant to encounter God, they found simply rules and regulations. And when the system becomes your God, you will do anything you can to protect it from perceived threats. So Mark begins his gospel with attacking the systems of the people. The systems that they had set up and they had elevated and they had worked so hard. In the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, there are 613 laws, commands that were given. And of those, one of the commands was the Sabbath. To remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And that on the Sabbath you would not work. But this one command, they took and they broadened it a little bit. From this one command, they had another 600 plus rules and regulations as to what it meant to keep the Sabbath day holy and what, it con- what constituted work on the Sabbath, what you could do or what you could not do, what, what constituted work. So one of the regulations they had, and there were 39 broad categories for this one command. And in those categories, hundreds of other subcategories of things. And so 
For instance, it was okay for someone on the Sabbath day to walk 1,999 steps from their house. But if you took the 2,000th step, that constituted work. And so the Pharisees created the system where they could take a pile of sticks and walk 1,999 steps, set down a pile of sticks, and sit on the ground for a few minutes and rest in their home. And then they could get up from their home and go another 1,999 steps. There was also things that you could not do. You couldn't pick grain. In the story right before this that we're going to look at, Jesus and his disciples are walking through this grain field, and the disciples are hungry, and they start picking some heads of grain. And the Pharisees confront them because they're not obedient to the system. And Jesus said, do you not remember what David and his men did when they were hungry and they entered the house of the priest and they ate the consecrated bread? Do you not remember this? And then he says this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The system was given to serve the people. But the people began to serve the system. And so, as Mark is confronting the system of the Pharisees and the teachers, he begins by letting Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners and have fellowship with people with leprosy and people that they couldn't touch. And then he moves on to start confronting the Sabbath regulations. And so, In chapter 3, it says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Because there were certain things you could do on the Sabbath, and healing someone was not one of those. Isn't that interesting? Unless they were going to die because of it. If they were going to die, then you could give aid. Then you could provide help. But if it wasn't life or death, you could not do anything. And so, they're watching Jesus to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So this man with the shriveled hand, and there's all kinds of questions of how did he get in here? Was he supposed to be in here? Was he permitted to be here? Did he have to hide his hand? Did the people know who he was? Was he sitting in the back or was he sitting in the front? Did Jesus invite him in or did the Pharisees invite him in? And I have so many questions about why this person is here at this time. But what we do know is that Jesus invites this man to stand up. This man who I'm pretty sure probably wants to blend in. Who probably doesn't want Jesus to call him out. Who he does not want to be the object lesson of Jesus' next sermon. 
And Jesus asked him to stand up in front of everyone. And here's the problem. When you're asked to stand up in front of everyone, it becomes quite clear who you are and what is wrong. When you stand up in front of everyone, people can see who you really are. They can see what's going on in your life. They can see everything about them that you try to hide and that you don't want them to know. Jesus asked this man to come stand up in the middle of everyone. He asked him to show what's wrong. He says, stand up. And as he's standing there, he asked the Pharisees this question. What's lawful on the Sabbath? What, what, what's okay on the Sabbath? And you, you think Jesus wants to be right there and just say, hey, and by the way, remember the grain field just a few minutes ago, last week on the Sabbath. When, when, when I said that man was not made for the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was made for man. You remember that? What's lawful to do on this day? To do good, to heal, to give life, to do evil. And they don't answer. And the reason is because Jesus is threatening their system. Because the system has become their purpose. Their system has become the reason they exist. And they find their salvation in the system. And so Jesus calls this man up in front of everyone. And he says, stretch out your hand. Isn't it interesting that the very thing he probably wants to hide is the thing Jesus asked him to give him. What he asked him to hold up. What he asked him to show everyone who is around. Stand up and stretch out. See what happens when you make a good gift a God is it becomes destructive. The tabernacle was a good gift. The temple, the synagogue was a good gift. But it was not the source of salvation. It was not the Savior. And when you make a good gift a God, and you focus your entire life around it, when it becomes everything that your life is ordered around, then it becomes destructive. Sex is a good gift from God. But when that good gift becomes a God, it becomes destructive. Money is a good gift from God, but when money becomes a God, it becomes destructive. Your children are a good gift from God, but when they become God in your life, it becomes destructive. See, a God is anything that orders your world. It's anything that takes all of your focus and effort 
and you do everything else revolving around it. Let me tell you, that's a difficult balance. We have four children. Four. Four. It's really difficult at times to not have our world revolve around them. It's really difficult at times to not have your world revolve around money. It's difficult at times for your world not to revolve around possessions. See, we we find these different systems that we put in place and we seek them as saviors. And we want them to provide for our needs and we want them to fill us and they want we want them to make us feel whole and right and justified. And Jesus says they can't do that. The system of, of Sabbath could not do that. Don't put it on its pedestal. Don't make it something that it's not. Don't intend for it to do something that it was never intended to do. It was a gift given to you. And you have all these things in your life that threaten those systems. And Jesus says, here, stretch out what you have. Stand up in front of everyone. Let everyone see what you have. Stand up and stretch it out. Stand up and stretch out. And there's probably never a time in our life when we feel more vulnerable when we stand up and stretch out. There's probably never a time in your life where you feel more vulnerable than when you stand up and stretch out and say, here I am. Heal me. Make me whole. And it's only then that we find a Savior. Because this blessing of healing was not going to come from a man sitting back and waiting to see what God would do. It would only come if he was willing to stand up And stretch out. See, here's why this is so important. This right here, what we're doing today, it is a beautiful gift that we get to gather, that we get to be together as family, that we get to sing, that we get to share cup and some bread that we get to give back to God as he has given to us these are gifts that was never intended to be the purpose they were intended to be preparation as we came in that they would serve us so that we can go out and serve the world have you ever thought about that? You know, how many times you hear in communion, God help us to do this in a manner 
worthy of you. May, may we do this for you. And I think Jesus sits back and says, no, 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 no. Listen, I gave this to you to remember me. I gave it to you. It is a gift. As you break the bread with the person next to you and you pass the bread, this bread represents Jesus' body that was given to you. It's a gift. Remember me. And this cup is a cup that you take of the represents the blood of Jesus that was passed, that was given to you, and you pass it on to the person next to you, and you say, This is Christ's blood that was given to you. This was a gift. You, you come and we, we gather and we worship because it's a gift from God that we get to do this. The point was never the obedience to it. It was the preparation in it. Now, there's obedience in it, just as there was in the sanctuary, in the temple, in the tabernacle. But the purpose wasn't about the obedience. The purpose was preparing the people. The, the purpose was to move them forward. It, it was to get them outside of this place to serve the world. We gather on the first day and it is the most important thing we do is the body of Christ. But the reason we do that is not to be obedient necessarily. The bigger purpose, the, the greater purpose is that this would prepare us to be the people Jesus has called us to be. Next week, next week, the preacher is going to go into this amazing discourse of how Jesus does everything that that system was pointing towards. We gather today to encourage, to lift each other up, to exalt Jesus together so that we can go out and be his hands and feet in this world. Father, today, in this place, Father, we pray you would bless us as we gather. Father, we do pray that we would be obedient to you, but Father, that that obedience is something that's preparing us for what you are calling us to do, that we are a sacred and set-apart people, that we're set apart for your purposes and for your plans. Father, never let us think that this is the end, that this is the, the only purpose for gathering. Father, the purpose that we gather is for the preparation of your people. And so, Father, as we share today, make us more like Jesus so that we can go into his world and share the good news of the gospel of Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. If you have any need this morning, if you've never given your life to Christ, we offer you that invitation. Come to him, be baptized, wash your sins away, begin life anew in Christ Jesus, Messiah, and Savior.
because he is the purpose. He is the reason that we gather. He is the reason that we share this morning. If, we have, if you have any needs prayer-wise, we could pray for you. We're going to have shepherds, ministry staff around the auditorium. We'd love to do that while we stand and sing.